Hey, what's up? Chad Hermanson here with Metal Edge Training Coach. Today I have a special guest, Steve Rodriguez, the head baseball coach at the University of Baylor. Steve and I go way back. He is a Vegas native. We played for the same high school coach. He's going to walk through and share his story about being an amazing high school player for an amazing team and coach, about coaching at Pepperdine, coaching at Baylor, his big league experience and what the minor leagues was like, and really what it's like to be a head coach and really all the hats that you got to wear uh, being a head coach at a Division One high-profile type school. So enjoy this episode with Steve Rodriguez. All right. Hey, what's up, Steve? How's it going, man? What's going on, Chad? How are you, man? I'm doing good. I I'm dying out here in Las Vegas. Uh, one twelve today. Um, I know you're probably you're in Texas. What's it What's it out there today? Uh, we got one oh five with about eighty percent humidity. So I know Vegas is like the dry heat that everybody talks about. So one twelve is like seventy five for us. All right, all right. Yeah, you're dying. So we we were we were just discussing a little bit. Um, have to admit, I'm a little disappointed. We have a clean face today. Yeah. Uh, we you just shaved. So so what's going on there? Uh, you know, it, it'll, first of all, it's really hot here right now. And then everywhere you go, uh, you have to wear a mask, obviously. And uh, I feel like I'm suffocating myself with all the facial hair and uh, just the, all the humidity. So, you know, it was a good time to kind of clean the face up and give it a break from, uh, from the facial hair aspect. But, yeah, it was just it was a good time to do it. All right. Well, we'll let you slide on that. Thank Make you. Sure, uh, when the mask come off, the beard's got to come back. Well, I was going to try to find a mask that actually had a beard on it, so that way uh, no one would really know the difference. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, that's awesome. So I, I've been actually, once I started doing these calls, I, I, you were in my queue. I've had you. i got to get to Steve Rodriguez. Yeah, I can see I was really further down in your queue than many. Okay, I, I see where I am, though. Well, I, I, I got to plan it accordingly, right? So I got to go. I got to go player. I, I got to go coach, scout. Um, a dad, you know, so you got to, and then just the availability is, is always interesting too. So okay, yeah, I'm really busy right now. <laughs> <laughs> so to, to kind of share with our audience. So um, we're both Vegas guys. We, we play for the same high school coach, Roger Fairless. Um, you are much, much older than me. Um, so, so you went to Valley High School. What year did you graduate Valley High School in Las Vegas? I graduated Valley High School in 1989. 1989. So back then, way back then, I, I heard they had some pretty good teams. So who were some of the, the guys you played with in high school? Yeah, we were, we were actually okay. Um, I came in right after Greg Maddox. Uh, so when Greg Maddox, I believe, I want to say he was a senior when I was in seventh or eighth grade. Okay. And then Dan Opperman was a year ahead of me. Um, and then we had Tyler Houston and Doug Mirabelli and Ricky Martinez. Um, trying to think of some of the other guys who were in the big leagues off of that team. But yeah, we, uh, I want to say we had four or five guys that made it to the big leagues um, off that one team. That's amazing. That's amazing. I, I was, I remember as a kid, so I moved to Vegas, um, I guess when you graduated. So I was 89 uh, right. when I moved from, to, from Salt Lake City, that area to Vegas. Um, and then the first time I heard of Roger Fairless was when I was in eighth grade. Um, he came to a Cannon Junior High School and just this, you know, eight, your eighth grade, you're looking up at this guy, you're like, he's got the handlebar mustache. It's wider, is what it is. It's wider. 
absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So just extremely intimidating. What was your experience like in high school playing for Coach Fairless? Oh, I'll, I'll tell you what. First of all, I mean, my dad was in the military, um, so he, he was gone quite a bit, um, flying all over the place. He was an engineer and built runways all over the world. And so, uh, you know, the baseball field was kind of my home. That's where, you know, I went from right from school, went to the baseball field. Even on the weekends, I was there pretty much all day as much as I could. And uh, just absolutely loved it. I mean, he, he was a guy who, uh, first of all, he, he wasn't really nice. You know what I mean? He was not the nicest of human beings um, at that time. But at the same time, he, he knew a lot of things just because being a man, being older, being a coach, he knew a lot of things that a lot of us never wanted to admit to ourselves. Um, he knew that, one, life is going to be difficult. He knows baseball is not an easy sport. Uh, one, to be successful in, but two, to do well on a consistent basis. And he knew that there was going to be some adversities with everything we did. And so what I think he did is he taught us how to manage fear. Um, and he also taught us how to manage anger. Um, and what I mean by that is, I mean, he, he, he was a disciplinarian. He was militant. I mean, there was a lot of things that he did that people today would absolutely just completely frown on. Uh, but at the same time, he put you in situations where he created some emotions inside you that forced you to learn how to deal with it. Now, some kids absolutely hated it. Okay. Yeah. But the majority of us knew exactly what he was doing is because we, we realized we were getting better, you know, and he would teach us things based out of, if you don't learn this, you're going to be in trouble type of thing. And so it forced us to really get better and learn things. And what I liked about it is when we got to a game, it was like, whew, finally, we can relax now. And we were able to play. And, you know, you don't realize, I mean, we would win like 15 to 2, and he'd still be upset because we did something wrong. You gave up two runs. What are you doing? Exactly. You're like, what are you doing? These two runs. And, you know, and you just realize that it was about perfecting the game, as hard as that and almost impossible as that is. It was about perfecting the game. And that, that's where I, I realized just – going from a, being a player to a coach, you realize that there's so many things during that game that can really set a tempo for the future. And if you don't get those right, then it, it can really kind of snowball on you and, and it can lead to other, other bad effects that can really uh, affect the game's results. And so, but I, I think he forced guys to really deal with those emotions because those are emotions you're gonna feel in a game. If you don't have success, you're going to have anger. And then there's going to be some times where you might be a little scared, especially at that age. And he forced you to deal with it. He would almost rather have you be scared of him and angry at him than the game. But I'll be honest, when I got to the big leagues with Boston, I had to pull back some of those things to remember that because I'll be honest, my first couple games as a starter um, coming in, it was like, Hey, I'm in the big leagues. I'm playing in the big leagues. And I was remnant, just, just, just sheer joy of being able to say I was there and doing that. But I forgot that I actually still had to play, too. And, you know, I kind of was like, oh, I'm in the big leagues now. Well, I don't have to have those emotions when it was wrong. Like, that's how I grew up, and that's what I had learned how to do. And so I had actually had to tell myself, like, hey, I need to bring those emotions back. So I would actually tell myself, okay, I need to find something to be angry about, someone to be mad at, or whatever it is to create that energy inside me that would, I call it ISO focus, where it would take all the big surrounding and it would just focus on what I was actually supposed to do. And, and those are the things that really helped me throughout my, throughout my career.
That's awesome. I, yeah, I totally agree with that. I think what he did was he, your Valley teams, and then after um, my school, Green Valley, he was the head coach that opened around 91. Um, that was my freshman year. So when I opened, went from eighth grade to ninth grade, he's the guy. Um, we didn't win the state championship in the first year. We didn't have seniors that year either, but starting in 92, that was our first year. We, we won six straight state championships. So I know, and I know you guys did really well at Valley as well. So what he was doing, I think, is he was preparing us for the, the big stage, mm -hmm. right? He was preparing us and we knew when we went, when we'd go practice, it was, it was extremely hard, right? People hated it. Um, kids were puking. You know, because you, <laughs> you're kind of a baseball slash track team. Yes. Right? So is that, was that your same experience at Valley? Oh, I have some unbelievable stories and some that I can actually share, some that are, are probably not really appropriate. <laughs> um, but some that just, you know, I remember diving for a ball and I remember it, it took a weird hop and it hit me on the side of the head and it like knocked me out cold. I was like, mm. out. And I just remember like laying there and like, like, he just left me there and I woke up. I was like, wait, practice is still going on, you know? And it was like, you could almost hear him like, get someone drag him off the field or something like that. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, you know, but I just realized like, you know, there's not going to be a lot of sympathy, like things like that are going to happen. And it's weird to say that now, just because, you know, obviously as a parent and as a coach in, in today's society, you're like, what in the world was that all about? But back then everybody's like, yeah, that's just kind of how it is. You know, and then we did this thing that I still do today with some of my guys. It's very modified, though. Yeah. But for double plays, I had a thing called a rag mitt. And it's a glove that doesn't have a web. Okay. Mm -hmm. Fingers and the thumb. There's no <laughs> web. And I turned double plays with that. I, I took ground balls with it. I caught fly balls with it. Like, that was like my practice glove. I didn't have a web. And so I would use that all the time. And what I realized is it, it helped me turn double plays to be really good at being able to make that pivot um, better than a lot of people, even throughout the minor leagues and stuff like that. Everybody's like, how'd your hands get so good? Yeah. And I realized that was the reason. And so I, I carried around a ragment with me all the time, even if I was just turning double plays just to help me. And, you know, and everybody's like, well, what if I, what happens if a ball goes through and it hits you in the face and you go, well, you know, there's no webbing there. So you better make sure it doesn't do that. You know? And so I would actually do that with some of our guys. I'd bring out some ragments. And they'd kind of look at me like, wait, what are you doing? What's and I said, yeah, don't, don't let the ball go through the webbing. And they're like, yeah, but what if? I go, no, 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 no. There's no what if, you know. But now here's the thing. Now we use like the incredible balls and stuff like that just to kind of get them used to it. But, and it's just more the action and the feel of, of being able to get your hands in the right spot and, and keeping your hands together and making them work together. But I realized like there's a lot of things that, you know, you, you, we did that, like I said, would be totally frowned upon now but back then it just made you tougher and realize hey i got to get really good at this and if i don't then i'm not going to be very good and i might get injured along the way but what i realized that he just made us so tough and he pulled something out of each and every one of us that that to be honest it, there's no comfort zone whatsoever <laughs> in that field and it was like hey you can leave your comfort right at the door because you're about to get as uncomfortable as it can possibly be I agree. I, I share the same sentiment. I, I had a, when I went my junior year, I went to the infield uh, from the outfield. We lost our, our shortstop. And um, in the fall, he's like, Hermanson, what? <laughs> you're you're going to be my shortstop. I'm like, okay. Um, 
Okay, I need to go get a glove, go buy a glove. Right. So, so I, I learned to do that. They, they cut, the, not my new glove, but they gave me that glove and I was the same way. I'm like, seriously? Like, I gotta, so then you, you kind of start to figure it out. I remember one day he was hitting me ground balls and took a bad hop right in the mouth. These two, two bottom middle teeth, straight back, chip, chip one of my front teeth and I'm bleeding everywhere, right? And we still have like an hour of practice left. And I know, you know, and after I had, after we took ground balls, it was my turn to hit like our group. And I'm like, well, well, I, I want to hit. Right. right. So, <laughs> so I, but I, I came around to the cage and he's kind of looking at me with this like grin on his face. Like, I'm so proud of you right now, you know, for just not, not going home basically. Right. Like you could just tell like that, that's what toughness is, you know, and mm -hmm. if you're bleeding everywhere, so what, you know, get your swings in, then you go. Home. <laughs> no, I had my, I had my appendix ruptured. We were playing El Dorado high school at El Dorado. And I had my appendix rupture right there at the field. And I remember going like, God, my stomach is killing me. And he's like, what, did you have a bad hamburger or something at lunch? And I'm like, no, he's like, this isn't a hamburger. Trust me. Yeah. Uh, ended up having to go to the hospital that night. Ended up, you know, having surgery. But eight days later, I had staples. I had eight staples on my side. And I was playing last couple of games. And we went into the, the district and the, or the city and then the state championship and ended up winning. But. I had put a big pad right there. I was diving and when he was like, I don't want to hear any excuses. I don't want to, you know, and yeah. I was like, I'm not giving you any excuses. I'm just letting you know, I got staples in my gut right now. But, um, but we ended up winning that thing. Yeah. Yeah. He, he would just be like, Hey, if it, it splits open, then just go get it fixed after the game. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's, right. Yeah. That's awesome. So we, we had, we could probably go on for days with stories with him, but so you, you graduated from Valley and then you go on to Pepperdine University, right? right. And I would love for you to share the story because you have a, I would say an infamous story of, of the World Series event when you were at Pepperdine in the World Series. Tell us about that. Um, no, it was pretty, pretty amazing, uh, amazing time because, you know, we go there and, and we don't have social media and we didn't have the TV coverage and we didn't have a lot of things that we do now to, to find out what everybody else is doing around college baseball. And so, you know, we were reading like collegiate baseball, which always came out like a month, you know, afterwards. Or baseball <laughs> so you were getting like last month's information. Yeah. You know? And so we just didn't have the up-to-date stuff. And, you know, we really didn't know a ton about other teams other than, you know, reading the, the you know, the, the rankings or baseball America top 25 or something like that. And so we really didn't know a lot, but going into Omaha, you know, the draft was coming up and all that stuff. And um, nobody really kind of knew what was going on because, they, the, you know, the scouts would call you. You know, they had to find out what hotel you were at and stuff like that. And Well, I never got a call. I never got a call that day. This is um, your junior year, right? Junior year. Yeah. And the draft is happening that day. And I don't get a call. I'm hearing Derek Wallace, you went in the first round. Dan Melendez, you went in the second round. Um, I think Steve Montgomery went in the third round. Uh, Chris Sheff went in the seventh round. I mean, I mean, it was just going on. I mean, we just had we had like nine guys drafted, and I had no, I never got a phone call, and I was like, oh, that's odd. I got, I had talked to all these scouts and all that, and, and we're stretching right before a Texas game. And I remember I was like, God, that's weird. Everybody, and you're like, you didn't get a call. I was like, no, never got a call. I was sitting in my room all morning, never got a call. Are you and, just, uh, are you pissed off right now? 
I'm, I was confused. Okay. I was just baffled just because everybody said they got these phone calls. And I was like, well, maybe I'm like, Hey, whatever, you know, I'll figure <laughs> it out later. You know, and then my, uh, Andy Lopez, my coach came up and he goes, yeah, I heard fifth round by the Red Sox. And I was like, Oh, I had no idea. I have, you know, and then later on when I actually ended up talking to the scout that drafted me, Gene Stevenson, he goes, Oh, I didn't want to bug you. And I was like, not you're much. playing, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, but, but it ends up that night. Um, I ended up hitting a grand slam against, I'm pretty sure it was that night. Um, I ended up hitting a grand slam against Texas, uh, against Brooks Kieschnick to end up winning the game. And that put us in the championship game. And then uh, I make a dive and play at second base in the championship game uh, with a tying run at third base with two outs uh, to hopefully kind of, it was like seventh or eighth inning, kind of solidify the game for us. Yeah, I, I still remember that. I, I was a kid watching that game and, and that was it, right? When the World Series is on, you 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 watched every game if you're if you loved it and you were into it, and and uh, that was awesome because '95 that was also um, uh, my senior year. Um, but so you were drafted in '95, correct? '92. Was it '92? Okay, '92. Then you got to the big leagues in '95. Correct. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So tell us about your like your minor league experience and your call up to the big leagues. Well, I'll tell you what. Just after. You know, after the College World Series, um, went with Team USA, and I was the last guy cut on the Olympic team in 1992. So it's like, okay, great. Um, and then I get, I get home, and literally I hit the ground, and I, I fly to uh, – I end up signing my contract, and then I fly to Winter Haven, Florida, to go play a little bit. And I end up, like, pulling both hamstrings in oh. consecutive weeks. And so I was kind of out a little bit. Um, you know, I had a horrible first year. I think I hit, like, 179. It was brutal. Um, trying to get used to, you know, minor league baseball and, and the heat, you know, in Florida. And then, you know, I think Hurricane Andrew at one point came through and like canceled a bunch of games that we were playing in and, and um, just a lot of different things. And then throughout the minor league, I went to Lynchburg, Virginia uh, for my first full year, had, ended up with like 500 plus at-bats and, wow. um, you know, just – the Carolina League, I'll tell you what, once the storm hits, it is something. It's rough. You know, they have all these amazing stadiums that they have now. It's like Kinston, North Carolina, and Winston-Salem, and all these places that, you know, you have like cinder block walls and, and all these things in the yeah. outfield. And, you know, you're eating lunch at a Chevron and just different things that you just like you would possibly not even imagine would be a professional athlete. That's why I always laugh. It's like, I want to play pro ball. I'm like, you want to play in the big leagues. That's what yeah. you want. You want to play pro ball. Yeah. There's a big difference. Um, but you know what? The minor leagues, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I think I got to the big leagues too quick. Um, I got, you know, I was in the minor leagues. Uh, I went at a full season in a ball and in, in the Carolina league next year, I was in double a for like two months. And then I went to triple a, uh, to finish out the year. I ended up hitting 300. Uh, and then that next year I'm in the big leagues. And so yeah. I tell people I, I made it too quick. I'm not complaining. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but I just kind of played hard, but I really didn't know a lot of the nuances that a lot of those big leaguers did and, and how they would set pitchers up and do different things. And, and I was just trying to learn as much as I could in, in such a rapid amount of time. But, uh, but I was a middle infielder, so I could play a lot of different positions, and I did a bunch of things for them. And, and so luckily I was kind of going up and down a little bit with them. Uh, you know. But the minor leagues, I'll tell you what, it was a great learning experience because – you realized why when you got to the big leagues, you wanted to stay there because the minor <laughs> league was so miserable. Yeah. You know, yeah. And everybody, oh, but in AAA, you get to fly. I was like, yeah, every flight's at 6 a.m. So you're yeah. waking up at four, you had a late night, you're trying to find a way to get some sleep. 
you know, and this is back when I had contacts. So my thin glasses, you know, those were like real world issues that I was having to deal with at the time. Same thing. Yeah. You know, and then I sleep with my contacts in, is it in the back of my eyeball? Where is it? (laughs) I have no idea. And then I'm trying to figure it out or do I put a new one in, you know, and then I got to play that night, you know, it is just miserable. Um, but there, I mean, it was a good experience because it, it forced you, like I said earlier, it teaches you how to deal with anger and fear yeah. in a lot of different ways because that frustration comes in. Um, and there's so many things that are outside your control. You know, you would see guys get called up and you're like, how come that guy's getting called up and I'm not getting called up? Am I happy for him? Absolutely. But I'd be really happy for me too if I got called up because that, this is my journey as well. And, uh, but I think the minor leagues is, is just a great way to prepare you for life because nothing's inside your control. You're dealing with a lot of things that you would look at and go, man, I wouldn't play today, but you're playing, you know, and they're going to find a way to make you play um, just because of weather or whatever it is. And, you know, you, you start to realize that there are some things that you kind of took for granted and uh, the, the stuff that you kind of have to manage uh, in your life along with your career during that time is uh, it's definitely different. You know, when you're, when you're getting paid for six months out of a year and then you have to figure out something for the next six months, you know, um, it, yeah, it's just a lot, it's really different. No doubt. And so, and you, so you called up with the Red Sox, right? That's the team that drafts you. You go through a couple of years in the minor leagues. Um, you mentioned you felt like you were there a little bit too early. What age were you when you got your call up? 24. 24. Okay. Yeah. That, that was young back then. Now guys are like 18 in the big leagues. Um, but I was like, I was 24, I believe. Um, but yeah, so I was kind of up and down with them. Then they ended up taking me off the roster, um, right around playoff time. And, um, I got picked up on waivers by the Tigers because then I spent the rest of the year in the Bailey's, uh, in September for a September call up with the Tigers. Okay, cool. Yeah. So that was, and that was 95. Correct. That was, so that was the year I graduated high school and, and remember seeing you at a few games, watching TV and stuff. So I'm like, that's a Vegas dude. I love it. <laughs> so, so yeah. yeah. So you, so now you, you've had your big league experience um, going up and down. What was it like for you from a mental standpoint when, when you get sent back from the big leagues back down to AAA? What's that like for you? It's frustrating. You know, it's absolutely frustrating because you know what it's like. And, and in your head, I'm like, gosh, if I would have done this, I would have, you know, you start to start, uh, categorizing things that you need to get better at right away um you start you know you start going from diet to lifting i mean any any number of things you start going you know you start watching what guys are doing and how they're doing it um and then you start to kind of like okay i need to make sure i'm doing this better and doing this better and um but it is frustrating it absolutely is because when you get a taste of it and realize okay that's attainable now i need to keep i need to keep doing that and but unfortunately, sometimes it's outside of your control. Yeah, no doubt. It's, it's certainly one of the most frustrating things. It's all the emotions, right? You talked about emotions earlier. You're embarrassed. Uh, you're frustrated. You're like, you know, maybe for a second, a woe is me. For just, you know, then you get, get rid of that pretty quick. And then you realize, okay, I got to get back on track here and get back to work and, and go back down to AAA and, you know, extra work, whatever it is. And uh, maybe you start to relax a little bit. and what people don't realize is there's a lot of questions that always start popping up from other people you know luckily when I was there there was no cell phones it was we had beepers you know we had like pagers or whatever it was um 
But, you know, now it's like, hey, what happened? What's going on? How could, why did they send you? There were so many questions, like, after the season. Hey, what happened here? Why did you, like, you just like, man, just leave me alone. Like, <laughs> I'm still trying to, like, digest the whole thing myself. Yeah. Yeah, so, well, cool. That's awesome. So then it's interesting now. You've been coaching for so long. I mean, you've probably been coaching longer than you've been playing. Is that, is that fair to say? Oh, yeah. I'm 20 years in now, yes. Yeah. That's why I was looking at your, your background and all that stuff with your coaching. So at what point did you say, I want to be a coach? <laughs> um, this is actually a hilarious story, Chad. So when I was with the Expos, I had gotten released from the Tigers. Expos called and said, hey, we'd like to sign you. I'm like, sure, absolutely. Um, so I go down to so St. Petersburg. We're sharing a venue with the, uh, the Cardinals at the time. Mm -hmm. so I go down there and we're toward the end of spring training and and one of the one of the minor league guys goes, "Hey, do you ever think about coaching?" And in my head, I was like, "What are you telling me? Am I done playing now?" You know. And so, <laughs> because, you know, I was like throwing BP or something like that, and and hitting ground like fungos. You got some good BP, man. You ever thought about coach? Exactly. Hey, <laughs> I was like, "Well, I'd like to continue playing in this career. Um, I'll worry about that when I'm done." And it, what's funny is I told my wife that, and she's like, "Were they? Are they going to release you?" I'm like. I don't know. They want to hire me as a coach. I mean, who knows? But I said, I'd really like to try to finish my playing career if I could. Uh, but yeah, that's how old are you at this point? Oh, uh, 28 ish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's about right. 28. Creeping up on 30 somewhere around there. Right. In my head, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm one of the older guys on the field. Everybody's asking me questions. They want me to go talk to the minor league guy, you know, the, the coordinators and stuff like that. And, and figure stuff out. So I realized that, you know, that's kind of my job now is I'm that guy. Yeah. So, so then you, it's a weird conversation, right? Um, I, I never had that conversation, but I know talking to other guys that they, their mindset is still like, dude, I'm a player. Right. right? And then, then the perspective isn't quite there yet. Cause you don't know what's happening from the front office perspective. The coaches are like, Hey, we don't really have a spot for this guy, but man, he would be a great coach. Right? right. And when you're, when they ask you about that at 27, 28, 29, 30, you're, if you're still in player mode, it's kind of like, I'm not interested in that. I'm, I'm going to get to the big leagues. I'm going to get back to the big leagues. No, absolutely. But that was the thing is like my last year I had my daughter. Um, so she just turned one, my last year of playing um, in August. So it was like the end of the season uh, my wife and I, we were in Ottawa, Canada, like right after she was born, um, or she was like six months old around that time and going to Ottawa, Canada, and then having to go to Albuquerque cause I got traded. I was a player to be named later in the trade. Mm -hmm. So going from Ottawa, Canada, Albuquerque, my wife was really pumped about that. <laughs> um, you know, cause for me, I'm like, Hey, I'm jumping on a plane. I got to, you know, head to Albuquerque. And she's like, yeah, I'll pack the car up and I'll, I'll go ahead and drive back. Don't worry yeah. about it. Um, you know, and so those things, and then I realized, you know, during that time when my daughter was born and during that first part of the year when she was kind of getting toward the age of one, you know, I was like, I called her, I called myself a two week daddy. I'd be there for like a week, gone for a week, here for seven days, gone for seven or three days, 10 days, whatever it was. And then, you know, and I told my wife, I kind of got sick of hearing, Hey, guess what she did today? You know, guess what she did this day? And I was like, I didn't like hearing that. And so, you know, at the end of my career, um, my daughter turned one when I was in Albuquerque. I think I was in Tucson playing at the time on her birthday. And, you know, in that off season, uh, I had some offers, uh, you know, because I was a free agent at the time. And 
I had some offers to play in the minor leagues, some other places and the Phillies and stuff like that. And I was like, you know what? I'm good. I'm good. I don't need to be bouncing around. And I want to know my kid. I want to know my wife. And so at that point, my wife and I just kind of decided that, you know, it's time to take the career to a different, uh, a different location and do something different. But I was volunteering at Riverside Community College at the time. Um, I used to go there and work out when I was preparing for the for spring training. Yeah. And so I told Dennis Rogers, who was the coach there at the time, I said, hey, look, I'm kind of done playing. Would you mind if I came out and just kind of messed around and helped your infielders, your hitters, or whatever it was? And he was like, oh, my gosh, would love to have you out here. I go, yeah, just volunteer. I don't need to get paid or anything. I just want to come out and do it. And then the Pepperdine job opened up my year, the first that year I was with Dennis. And he said, hey, I don't know if you know this, but that Pepperdine assistant coach job opened up. You may want to put your resume in. Mm-hmm. So uh, put the resume in, and next thing you know, I was hired. And then you spent over, what, 10 to 15 years at Pepperdine? Is that right? I was an assistant for four, and then I was a head coach for 12. Yeah, so 16 years at Pepperdine. So I have actually never been to Pe- – I've, I've driven past it. I've heard about the field. I've seen pictures. What is that like, just working there for as long as you did? <laughs> it doesn't suck, I can tell you that. Um, <laughs> You know, you're, you're sitting there and you're overlooking the Pacific Ocean. You know, your, your, weather, your weather gauge is anywhere from 55 to 75 every single day. You know, um, some days it's a little more overcast, or they call it a marine layer um, in Malibu. But for the most part, it, it was an amazing experience. I had a, I met my, that's where I met my wife. So, you know, going back there and being able to coach there, very familiar setting. Um, and no, I just really enjoyed it, really did. That's awesome. So you coached there for as long as you did, and then now you are the head coach at Baylor. What was the transition like from, um, you could probably say Baylor's a bigger school, mm-hmm. yes. right, in regards to that. So what was, uh, how did that all come about with going to Baylor? Malibu to Waco. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's funny is when people heard rumors that that was happening, uh, there were some tweets going out about, yeah, his wife will roll over and kill him in his sleep if he makes that move. <laughs> Um, you know what? It was a really hard, uh, it was easy and hard at the same time. Um, it was hard because Pepperdine's home for my wife and I, and, um, uh, we have a lot of family that that's in California. Uh, we're very familiar with the surroundings, the setting, you know, we loved it there. Um, but at the same time, we had an opportunity to come to a bigger campus. Uh, facilities are much different. Um, lifestyle is a lot different uh cost of living is a lot different and so uh when Baylor called us up I mean it was kind of weird because my wife and I were at Nordstrom uh believe it or not just kind of walking around and I got a a call from an 817 number which is a Dallas number and I was like who in the world's calling me from Dallas and my wife's like go ahead and take it I'm just going to go try these on real quick or whatever and I end up, you know, it's, it's a search firm that is looking for the baseball coach for Baylor. And they're like, hey, I'm sure you're aware. And I said, yeah, I know, I know that the job's opened up. And, you know, would you be interested? And I'm like, yeah, sure. I'd love to talk to you because my daughter, you know, I'm going to rewind a little bit. About eight months earlier, I took my daughter to Baylor uh, to look at the school because she's a senior in high school. And so we had actually gone, came out and went to a football game. Uh, Judge Starr was the president at the time. We knew him from when he was at Pepperdine. Uh, he was the dean of the law school there. So we, we already knew a lot of people who were, uh, were at Baylor um, that we, we, we kind of had a, a relationship with. And so we, we showed up and my daughter loved it. I thought it was an amazing campus and the people 
um, they really made us feel unbelievable, to be honest. And I, I remember my wife goes like, what'd you think? And I was like, I actually really enjoy this place. You know, next thing you know, June comes and I get a phone call and uh, I'll be honest, it happened pretty quick. I got a phone call Sunday night. Um, they flew us out Tuesday. We were there Wednesday on an interview. They made me the offer Thursday and Friday I accepted. So it was, it was a pretty quick transition. That's awesome. So I'm curious, and I'm sure listeners are, <clears throat> being a head coach, you go into an interview, and who, who is interviewing you, and what kind of questions are they asking you? Oh, wow. Um, you know what? Uh, you know, the athletic director, the, uh, the deputy athletic director, our compliance officer, uh, there was the, those were the three that were in the room. And then I talked to a couple different people throughout the day. Um, you know, just in regards to different things, uh, facilities, people and stuff like that. Um, but the biggest questions were, you know, what's your philosophy? Um, you know, what do you do for, for each and every kid? You know, and I just, to be honest, what's great is I knew I was very comfortable at Pepperdine. Right. And this right. wasn't something that I, I had to have mm -hmm. um, that, or I was not, you know, oh my gosh, I'm never going to work again type of thing. Um, but I was very comfortable, very happy at Pepperdine. And when Baylor called I went there and what's great is I was completely relaxed and I was myself right. and that I think was the biggest thing for me is that I had more questions for them than they actually had for me um just in regards to like what do they want out of their new coach and, and stuff like that but you know the biggest thing is like what's your philosophy you know how do you run your program uh explain certain things that you do um why do you do certain things um you know, what has allowed you to have success in the past um, at a school that obviously um, doesn't have the facilities that they, that they did at Baylor. Um, and so it was, to be honest, those were questions that were easy for me to answer just because um, I was living through them. And, you know, like I always tell people, you never have to remember what you said when you're telling the truth. So it was just really <laughs> easy for, for me to go ahead and, and be honest with them with where I was. Yeah, no doubt. That's awesome. Yeah. But you I'd never know when, like how intense are they when they're going in? Are they, they just getting and reaming you? Are they, how do, what do you do when someone does this? And so it's all, it's interesting how those type of questions can work out sometimes. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure there's some interviews that are unbelievably intense, but yeah. um, I think kind of how you go in or in regards to how I went in, there was not a lot of stress, you know, I'm, you know, and I like to be able to look at the room and understand, you know, who, who, who are the people in the room you know, uh, you know, you do some research on them, you find out some information about them, you ask questions, uh, you know, and then you, you kind of, you try to find a way to, uh, to merge the two as best you can to, to kind of ease the tension in the room. Yeah, that's awesome. So I'm curious as to how do you go about, uh, I know division one programs now, they have um, maybe sports psychologists or even mental skills coaches. Oh, yeah. How do you guys go about at Baylor uh, helping whether it's you or somebody you bring in, you know, just discussing the mental game and working with your players. You know, there's a, there's a lot of different ways that people go about this. You know, you can go and bring in all sorts of like different people to kind of come in and talk to your guys. Um, you know, there's all these cliches and, and stuff like that, that people can use. Um, for me, I love being, bringing in people that, uh, are tangible. I like people to come in and give them things that they can utilize. And what I don't want to do is I don't want to bring in a lot of people. 
Yeah. I want their brain going from one thing to another thing. And they're so worried about all these other things that they really forget what they're supposed to do. And so I just like, you know, I brought in, uh, I brought in a gentleman who is like the head of Delta force for 25 years. Mm. You know, I brought in a, a, a Christian neuroscientist that kind of talked about how do you get negative thoughts out of your head? And she showed science and, and video of what a, a bad thought looks like and how it can change in your brain. It shows molecules of what it looks like when a brain, when your thought can, can actually change a negative thought to a positive thought, like what happens, you know, things like that. And just the ability to, to do those things, because I tell them, I go, look, I'm going to be hard on you. And sometimes you're going to need somebody to talk to because of me. <laughs> yeah. you no, know, but, uh, but you know, we have, I mean, we have so many different, uh, like psychologists here and mental health, uh, health specialists that, you know, they, they have access to so many different things that is going to help them, you know, whether it's their family, whether it's their girlfriend or, or whatever it is. But for me, and I will be honest, this is the easiest thing for me to do. Um, I personally just feel like the best mental health I can give them is to know those kids better than anybody else. Uh, when I like when we're taking BP and I'll walk around the outfield and I, I want to talk to uh, as many guys as I can. Hey, how are you doing? What's going on? And then just start a conversation and kind of see where they take it. Um, because I want to know how they're doing. And I, I tell them right away, I go, Hey, if I ask you, how are you doing? And you say, okay, I'm going to assume it's okay. I'm going to assume everything's okay. But if you got some stuff going on, I go, Hey, how are you doing? And you say, well, I'm kind of struggling with this, Then let's go. Let's talk about it. Right. Um, you know, and they know they can, I mean, I've had kids come in and, and talk to me about girlfriend issues, parent issues, parents getting divorced, dads getting brain surgery. I mean, you name it, kids just breaking down um, in my, in my office just because they really don't know who to talk to about it. But I don't think that happens if I don't have that relationship with them, you know, and that goes from like, Hey, when you're on the road and you're eating, go up and, and start talking to them and see what's going on. And, you know, doing room checks at night, you know, what are they eating? What are they doing? What are they, <laughs> you know, you see them eating gummy bears and, you know, Goya mango drinks or whatever it is. And, you know, playing, you know, PS4 or whatever, you know, with their other teammates in other rooms and stuff, you know, just different. It's just great to be able to create that relationship because that's how the interaction is going to work. If I'm boss and they're employee, they're never going to open up to me. They know ultimately that I, I, have a little more say in things, but at the same time, man, when you're in the trenches, you need to know that your boss is in that, in that trench with you. And you know that if there's something wrong that you can talk to him about it. Cause there's some things I know that kids aren't comfortable talking to anybody else about it just because they're not sure how it's going to be perceived where for me, they know how it's going to be perceived. I tell them all the time. I go, look, as soon as you step into my office about a personal matter, my coach hat is taken off. And now I'm just a person who's trying to give you the best advice and the best guidance I can possibly give you just with my sheer ability to have wisdom in regards to my length of life. Uh, you know, I'm almost 50 right now. Some of my experiences, some of my, you know, my, I've been married for 25 years. So some of my marital things that, you know, they're, they're having relationship issues. I mean, all sorts of different things. You want to talk about mental health, just having a kid relax, yeah. you know, they're stressed out over so many different things that, Hey, you know what? Um, you can relax a little bit. Don't worry about your social media. Don't worry about what someone's posting or, or whatever it is. You're going to be fine. We're going to be okay. And just them knowing that I'm at, the, I got their back sometimes is probably one of the most comforting things I think they can have. 
Yeah, that's incredible. That's that's awesome. I know being a player, uh, being able to go into an office and knowing that, hey, I got some stuff going on and I trust this person. Uh, we can keep it between ourselves and I'm going to get some good advice. You know, obviously that's, you could probably say that's a part of the hidden job description of a head coach, right? right? That, that we, that everyone seems to kind of go through. And um, I, I don't know about you, but I, I felt like pro ball was a little bit different that way. Um, some, co some of the, your managers would, would want to get to know you better than others. Um, some just were there, it was just a complete job, you know, in and out, in and out of the office type thing. They didn't really care. Um, so it's interesting how that works. And I know as a parent, probably when they're talking about recruiting, is that probably something that's brought up with how you treat your players? You know, um, I think a lot of coaches might say it, but few probably do it. Mm -hmm. uh, I hope more do it. I really do. I don't know how everybody runs their programs. Um, but the truth is I, I try to let them know. I go, look, if, if you bring a, a, your son in here and he's the same kid when he leaves as when we brought him in, then I haven't really done a good job. Uh, I have not done my job. I go baseball wise. I, I'm not concerned about the baseball aspect, but uh, when your son steps away from this university, he's got to be a man because he's going to have to hit the ground running with a job, with a relationship, and he's going to need to know how to provide. And he's going to need to know that he can overcome adversity and he's going to be just fine by doing it. Yeah. But I try to explain a lot of different things to people because they're like, well, what about baseball? I go, we have every bit of technology that you can possibly imagine. And trust me, your swing and all that stuff, we are going to make that right. That, that's not a problem. Uh, I go, but that doesn't go well if you can't get what's going on up here right. And I always tell people when, when you have issues off the field, almost 90% of the time it affects what's happening on the field. And so once things are real, like when guys have really good relationships with their girlfriends, uh, their family unit is doing really well, man, everything seems to sync up really well on the field. But when there's chaos going on on the field, off the field, you can almost bet that there's a little bit of chaos going on on the field as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I call that interference, right? Yeah, so there's static. something going on. Yeah, there's something going on that you could tell some days, especially like you're saying, if you really know those players, they come in and maybe their their body language is already showing it when they come in that locker room or right when you get out on and, and you can just kind of see in their what's in their actions, like something's off with him today. You know, yes, absolutely. You see uh, when they're coming out of the cage, when they're, if they're frustrated and they're slamming their bat down, <laughs> if they got their head down, if they're looking off in a distant and you're like, what are you looking at? you know, you can tell that their mind's processing something that has nothing to do with what we're dealing with right now. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say in regards to um, a high school kid that is looking to come to Baylor? What are you looking for in a high school athlete? I mean, let's be honest. The first thing that always pops into our head is, you know, uh, you know, can you play? I always, I, when a kid step in my office, I always ask them one pretty simple thing. What do you do better than anybody else in this country? And I want them to have an answer for that. Uh, it doesn't, you know, I, you know, it, whether it's work ethic, Hey, I can really run the bases. I can read ball and dirt. I can handle a bat better. I can really locate my fastball, whatever it is. I want them to have some kind of confidence in something that they can step into my office and know right away that they can say that. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm looking for character. I want a kid who can be coached. You know, the problem is kids have a lot of different coaches right now. I got my ball coach, my high school coach, my hitting coach, my pitching coach, my strength coach. I mean, all these different coaches who are feeding into them. But at the same time, I'm, I tell them, I'm the one who makes the lineup. I'm the one who makes the lineup. So at some point, you're really going to have to listen to me. Um, 
but I'll be honest, we have not really had many of those issues. We have kids who want to come in and learn and grow and be better. And they're constantly texting, Hey, take a look at this swing. What'd you see here? And I'll be looking at their videos from their, that day on my phone, you know, cause we have the ability to do that from their swings and I'll look at it and I'll go, I'll send them stuff. Hey, check this out. Look at this, compare this video to this guy in the big leagues. Look what he's doing to what you're doing. And just, I mean, it's just, it's nonstop and, and I absolutely love it. But kids who want to learn, man, I, I, I can coach them all day long. I really can because I love it when, you know, I don't want them to, to be fake about it. Like, Hey, you know, what about this? What about that? But I want them to be genuine with like, Hey, I, I'm trying to figure this out. I, I can't get it. What do you see? And, you know, I tell them, I go, well, I can see one thing, but what I see sometimes doesn't really correlate with what you feel. So right. I, my question is, what do you feel? Right. Like, feel like I'm doing this and I go well I'm not seeing that so let's try to find a way to you know to kind of meet somewhere in the middle and, and work it out because I tell them sometimes the best coach is just you yes my best coaching <laughs> is batting practice and not saying a word and they kind of look at me and I go, yeah like you know when you take a good swing you know when you hit a ball hard you don't need me you need to go oh my gosh what an amazing swing no you know when you do it right and so I just go okay repeat that and I'll just yes. keep going you know, if you make a mistake, don't do that again. Just keep going. You know, just keep swinging because you never know when that one swing where you go, oh, my gosh, that was it. And then you just repeat it, repeat it, repeat it over and over again. But I tell them, I go, you're never going to know if you don't do it. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Now, you've been coaching long enough in college baseball. Maybe you've seen some trends over the years. Have you? What are you seeing now with college hitters? <laughs> um. Not so much college hitters as opposed to high school hitters. Um, the emphasis, it's slowly starting to tear away from it, which I'm really happy about. But launch angle has become like this, this thing when we started recruiting where there's kids that are five foot two, weigh 120 pounds, and they're trying to get launch angle to a ball, and the ball's barely getting over the infield dirt. <laughs> um, and I'm just like, man, you're going to be making a lot of right-handed turns leaving, you know, going back to the dugout. I said, let's focus, you know, and so we talked to our guys about it. You know, some guys have that strength to be able to do it, but we really use technology to help us out with a lot of that. So now I'm not necessarily the bad guy. You know, we, we get a lot of information and we decipher it down and we give our guys very specific numbers that we want them to hit in regards to launch angle, attack angle, plane efficiency and stuff like that. And we let the technology and the numbers do the talking for us. Mm -hmm. so we're not always the bad guy. You know, there's nothing worse. Like, that's not it. No, my gosh, you're, you know, change this, change that. You know, because back when we played, we didn't have it. You would take a swing and you're like, that ain't it. You right. know, and you take another swing. Well, now there's some technology that will tell you, oh, yeah, I did feel that. And it'll, it's instant feedback. Mm -hmm. So now you just need someone throwing and it can literally tell you what you're doing. And our job is to just make sure that their, their swing is efficient and as precise as possible. Now, the only thing they have to do is see a good pitch and lay that swing on it. Hmm. You know, uh, pitch recognition, pitch velocity recognition, and then lay a good swing on a strike. I, I tell them all the time, I go, you don't swing at a strike, I don't care how, your good, how good your swing is. It's not going to do us any good. Right. You swing at strikes with this swing, you're going to do damage. It's just the way it is. Absolutely. Yeah, it's always interesting. Uh, every coach has a little different experience. I, what I'm seeing is technology is definitely being used. Um, and that makes sense. to Because it seems like kids now, they want that information. Where you and I, we just went out there, you took three bad swings, you're like, well, okay, we'll fix it. You know, right. and 
And I think, to, you know, today's hitters are capable, certainly capable of doing that. But now they're being trained with all these different gadgets uh, and gizmos, if you will. But it's some of it's pretty cool, you know, and they, they like that feedback. So I think as a coach, you probably feel like you got to feed into it as well. Oh, abs- the, the hardest thing for me is I'm old now. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm almost 50 years old. And so yeah. when technology starts recycling and coming back and there's new things, like I have to learn the more the new technology. And yeah. for me, it was just do, you know, not learn. And so in regards to the different types of technology and stuff like that. So now you're really having to submerge yourself into numbers, into things. And, you know, you look at a track man data sheet, it's like a hundred, a hundred columns long. And so now our job as coaches is to go, okay, we're not going to pay attention to those 98 columns. We're going to focus on these two. They're like, well, what about, I go, no, 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 no. Don't worry about that. We're going to focus on these two because you have no control over these. You have control over these. And so that's what I think as coaches, our job is that we're a filter. Uh, we're taking all this information, we're putting it in a coffee filter, and we're trying to get out the strongest coffee possible. And, you know, as it's a drip technique, we just want the very smallest amount of information for them to have to worry about. You know, I'm not worrying about a lot of things, but you can worry about this because your swing is affected by this statistic. His swing is affected by this statistic. So he's going to work on on-plane efficiency. You're working on attack angle. I go, there's just two totally different swings, two totally different stats. Absolutely. That's great. Well, you, you've certainly been generous with your time, Steve. One last question for you is um, an aspiring uh, college player, maybe a minor league player. They're, they're kind of seeing the, the end of the rope. <laughs> they're asking if you want to coach or not. <laughs> yes. Meaning like, like at what point, but like, do you just say, man, I, I think I would really enjoy being a coach. What, what advice do you have for them? Um, the, the best thing I have is, is do you enjoy the game still? If you don't enjoy the game, it's going to be really tough. Do you enjoy re- understanding relationships? Because if you're a bad relationship person, it's going to be really hard. Because uh, kids, they want to talk. They want to talk a lot. And so you have to be able to understand that. Um, the coaching, believe it or not, the coaching on the field is probably the easiest thing that you have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but kids have a lot more uh, anxiety now. They have a lot more worries. They, they have a lot more, like you call the interference. I call it static. Uh, things that are touching them in regards to their their life in regards to their emotional uh, state of mind and stuff like that that you're just like holy smokes I didn't realize all this was going on Um, you know and then and I'll be honest like just go and do it you know find it like like in my head I'm like I I was volunteering and I go man I love this I love watching guys get it you know you start working with them you go oh I got it now Mm -hmm. I loved it Um, and so I, I was like man I could do this all the time and that's why some of the best days for me are just me one-on-one with one of the guys in the cage, just throwing batting practice and until we're both just sweating, just going, Hey, let's figure this thing out and let's get it right. I love those days. Yeah. Uh, that for me is, is the biggest thing is go and do it. Like go to a high school, go, Hey, you know what? L- let me volunteer. Let me come out here and let me try to work with some of your guys. And uh, I, I just think that's one of the most valuable things you can do is, is go and do it because you're not going to know if you like it, if you start telling guys things, you start hearing some of the things they say back to you, and does it, does it offend you? Does it not? Um, <laughs> you know, because some, seriously, some guys get really offended by like the littlest of things. I tell them, like, I don't get offended by anything. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I just kind of gotten accustomed to kids saying kind of goofy things because they don't know what to say. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that the biggest thing is just to go and do it. See if you like it because some guys love it. Some guys, oh, my gosh, I can't do it. Um, but the biggest thing is you have to be able to communicate. 
You got to be able to communicate in a lot of different ways. In fact, I got my master's on coaching styles and learning styles. Okay. And the best thing that I can tell people is that I can change how I coach. I can change how I coach both as verbally. I can show pictures. I can show video. I can have somebody else word something differently than I'm, I'm saying it. You know, because sometimes I can say, play underneath the baseball. And everybody's like, what does that mean? And you might say, hey, you know what? Just make sure your bottom, your, your glove hand is underneath the baseball. Level. Oh, okay. It's the same thing, just yeah. worded. See, right. that, that's a coaching style. Well, I can change how I coach in a lot of different ways. I can't change how you learn. Right. So my job is to figure out how you learn. Like if you're, if you're an audible, if you're a visual, if you're a tactile, I mean, most, most athletes, to be honest, are doers. They have to be able to do it. Right. Um, you know, and that's the thing is like, if you, like, that's why, but some kids aren't, you know, some kids are different. So I have to find a way to reach out and be able to figure out what's going to make him tick because there's nothing more frustrating for both parties than if my athlete can't get it and I'm frustrated that he can't get it. Well, now we're both upset. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I'm telling you what to do. Well, I can't get it. Well, we're both upset. So if he's frustrated, I can change how I'm coaching it. I just have to be willing to do that. You know, some coaches are like, well, this is how I teach. Well, you're going to have some frustrated athletes. Then. It's right. just the way it is. You know, but my job, I'm, I'm not, you know, egotistical enough to where I'm going to go, this is how I do it. And if you can't figure it out, then, then you're, you know, you're not going to work here. Well, how about if I just change how I say it? And maybe that guy gets it. And next thing you know, I have an amazing player on my hands. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I think baseball, it can't be a one size fits all. You know, there's just, there's so many ways to do, to hit, to field, you know, field a ground ball, to throw a pitch. You know, it's, everyone has different bodies, you know, heights, sizes, all that stuff goes on. And if we're trying to do everything the same, that's probably not going to work out. Well, think about, think about what's going on <laughs> in Major League Baseball right now. You have like Harvard, Princeton, Dartmouth, Yale, like MIT, all these statisticians pulling all this information down of, of players, like uh, spreadsheets on, uh, you know, spray charts and where players should play and stuff like that. So you have all this information. Then you have old school baseball guys who are like, what are you talking about? You've never put a pair of cleats on in your life. You have no idea what, how hard that is. Right. Like, I understand that, but this is, these are the trends and percentages are this. They're like, that's ridiculous. Well, what they're trying to do now is they're trying to find people who can communicate in the middle. Right. You know what I mean? Hey, I, I know what that information is saying. I need to take it, decipher it, and give it to him in baseball language so he doesn't think that, you know, he has, you know, no idea what he's talking about. So that's where a lot of us are coming into play now is we're like the middlemen that are college guys going into, the, into pro baseball because we're using technology and we're deciphering it for players. And that's where, that's where it's becoming most valuable is that being able to humble yourself a little bit to know, I don't know that, but I can learn it. But at the same time, asking the question, hey, what does this mean? You know, and that's where I think that technology and ability to communicate it is such a valuable tool. Absolutely. Yeah, this, is, this would have been my eighth year scouting. And I, there's been so many changes just in my eight years. Um, new things that we have to incorporate. Uh, a bigger picture of that puzzle we're trying to, as we're scouting players, we have to add more information. Um, so it's interesting how it kind of it works. And I know coaches are probably getting even more information in the Meyer leagues, because I know a um, few of my buddies have been hired because they know how to incorporate all those numbers, you know, that they're seeing on an iPad and incorporate to the, that to the hitter and the hitter starts to get it. So if you don't adapt, right, it's that adapt or die, right? So you better, you better learn how to do it or else you're not going to be in the game very long. 
no, we, we had, I had two pro, uh, two major league baseball programs, uh, come into my office, like some high profile people in their organization literally sit down and they go, okay, how are you getting guys to buy into this? Yeah. I kind of looked at them. I go, you guys are professional teams. How are you not doing it? You know? And I just said, look, here, it's pretty simple. This is what we're doing. This is how we're incorporating it. This is how we're explaining it. This is the why that everybody has to coach because that's the question. Every goal. Why do I have to do that? Right. Coach why tell them the why, and then make sure you're doing drills that satisfy that. Why I tell our guys, like when we're coaching, I'm coaching the 95% of the game. There's going to be 5% that we're going to kind of prepare you for, but it rarely ever happens. My job is to coach you for that 90 to 95% that's going to happen all the time. Sure. And we'll prepare you for the other 5%, those random one-offs that you kind of go, whoa, that was a bizarre play. Mm -hmm. um, but when, when big league clubs are coming into our, our offices and asking how we're, you know, we're explaining this to our guys and how we're utilizing technology and how we're explaining it, that just tells me that I, I think we're doing a, a lot of really neat things and we're doing it right. But we're also continuing to educate ourselves on the, the nuances of this game that, to be honest, if I can make you be just 10%, 15% better, then you know what? Then I've done my job. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, this has been, I would say, quite a treat. This, <laughs> this has been awesome. It, we haven't spoken in a long time. Um, it's funny how the years just go by and, um, I'm still in Vegas out here. You're you went west, and now you're in the middle. In the middle. In the middle. In the middle. <laughs> middle East. <laughs> Not in the Middle East, but you're somewhere in the middle. Uh, but man, I've been following you, and I appreciate you coming on board with me today. You know, congrats on all the success you've had. Um, you even have a uh, your kids at Baylor now too. Is that right? Correct. My daughter. Uh, my daughter just graduated from Baylor. She works for a company here that makes believe it or not, custom cowboy hats and different kinds of hats for country Western singers. So all these oh, different, nice. oh, it's fascinating. Uh, it's called Standard Hat Works here in Waco. And then my, uh, my son is a Baylor student. He'll be going into his sophomore year. Yeah. So he was on our team this past year. And what position is he? He's an outfielder. An outfielder. Okay. He said, forget the infield. None of that nonsense. Yeah, infield, like my dad coaches that. I can't stand that infield coach. So <laughs> uh, I want to go in the outfield. Yeah, he just did, he didn't want to work with you directly. That's what it was. Right? <laughs> smart kid. He's smart. Right? <laughs> he's, he's, a political, he's a political science philosophy double major. He is way above my pay grade in regards to intelligence. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. It's, it's interesting how kids are more involved in political things, you know, and so I don't really talk about politics at all on this show, but Man, they're, I guess it's cool that they pay attention. Um, didn't, I didn't pay attention at all until I got into scouting. When yeah. I started to listen on the radio about what's happening, I'm like, ah, I guess I better learn about this stuff. Yeah, my son wants to be an attorney, and he, he just educates himself all the time. He's reading books, podcasts, you yeah. know, and he listens to all, so many different views. He's not just like one way. And, I mean, there's times where he sits at my table, and I'll look at my wife going, I have no idea what he's talking about. Uh, but it's just amazing. He, he, he's done a pretty impressive job and he's actually doing a research project right now with a couple professors about the effects of the coronavirus on student athletes. Wow. I bet that's very interesting. It, it's yeah. pretty neat. Yeah. Okay. Well, very cool, man. Well, I know you probably got maybe another two or three zoom calls lined up today and about Not four or five tomorrow. Right. <laughs> so, Hey man, I appreciate your time. Best of luck to you and we'll keep in touch. Absolutely. Thank you, Chad. Thanks for having me on. All right, Steve. Take care of yourself. We'll see you. Bye. Hey, what's up, guys? I want to thank you for listening to today's episode. You know, if you had any experience playing a sport while growing up, 
or even now, you know, have a kid playing a sport, you know how important the mental game is. Now, there are many that say it's at least 60% of their sport, and some will even say it's as high as about 90%. So if the consensus is it's at least 60% of your game, no matter what sport, what are you or what are your son, you know, your daughter doing to work on the mental game? I want to help you out or your athlete out. As I work with athletes at all different ages, they are all different as far as their engagement in a group setting or in one-on-ones. To help give athletes some options, I wanted to hit on doing mental training on their own time, one-on-ones, or even in a group setting. So I wanted to give you some options. My first option is my online course where I created over 40 videos where your athlete can watch learn, and go through these videos at their own pace. I would think and say that this is great for those athletes that don't want to be a part of a group setting or they have thoughts, you know, they don't want anyone to know that I'm actually working on my mental game. Now, these videos come in a yearly membership where they watch the videos, they have access to me through email during the duration of their membership, and they get a one one-on-one call per year. And this is a membership. It's $199 per year. So for more information on that, go to mentaledge.training. The second option is for those that really liked engagement. I've been doing live weekly online calls where I pick a topic to coach on. I engage and ask questions with the athletes on how this applies to them. They take notes in their mental game journal and they work on that particular skill or the topic I give them for that week. Now this option is a membership as well and it's $13.99 a month. I also do get a lot of inquiries about one-on-one coaching as well as team coaching. I do do those as well. So you can email me at chad at mentaledge.coach for more details on that. But if you want more information on the links on these memberships that I have, click on the show notes And I can give you all that information there on those websites. But I want to thank you again for listening to this podcast. I do want to make this better. I would love to hear any comments, any suggestions you have where I can make this podcast even better for you and to help you out. I also want to let you know that all these interviews on this podcast are also in video form on YouTube. And if you go search Mental Edge Training Coach, all these interviews will be there as well. So again, thank you for listening, and I will see you in the next episode. Take care.